your neighbor, say, how about those Sooners? Easy. Cowboys, too. I guess we have to put them in there. Hey, I think TU played OU pretty well, to be honest with you. Hung up 38 points on them. Those Jinx boys showed up yesterday, didn't they? TU. <laughs> and the Union boys did, too, yeah. They're, between the two schools, they can get some pretty good athletes now. And now Bixby's coming on pretty strong, so that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. For golf? Well, that's what it was, yeah, I'm sure. That's what he's going to say. Yeah, he's still, yeah. Coach Morrow, it's, my, it's his fault. I'm sure his line coach will appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 3, we kind of looked at it last week, we'll look at it a little deeper tonight, today I mean. The most important thing about you, that's what we want to talk about today. When I was in college, um, they had us read a lot. Now how many of you remember college and reading? Any of you? It seemed like I had to read a lot in college. I didn't like, I still don't like to read, I didn't like it then, I, I, I like it a little better now but not as much. I just don't like it. Never have liked reading. Never developed a like for reading. I thought, why have this book? Why can't somebody tell me what it says? It just, I'm, I'm a cliff note guy. I'm looking for an easy way out. That's, that's what I've discovered. Is I'm looking for an easy way out. But in college, we had to read these, you know, these books of the Bible and try to determine what was in the books of the Bible. And I went to a, a used bookstore because, you know, we're in college. You don't have a lot of money. And I found a book. I just fell in love with. It was a children's Bible story book. Now, you'd think growing up in the church that I would understand about a children's Bible story book, but I'd never seen one before. This one was bright, it was colorful, and the books of the Bible were like two pages long, which was my main goal here. Are you following me? So I would get that, and man, I read, the book. I read from cover to cover. I knew the Bible. And then I sat down in class, and they started asking questions. And I went and looked at my children's Bible storybook. And what they were talking about wasn't anywhere on those two pages. So I got a little nervous. So one day they asked a question. I thought I had the answer because of my two-page Children's Bible storybook. And I threw out that answer. And I never will. I believe it was Mark Barrier, as a matter of fact. I never will forget the look he gave me. I can't duplicate it. There's no way. He said, well, where did you come up with that? I said, well, from my reading. He said, what are you reading? A children's Bible story book? I thought, he knew. He's, he's got one himself, doesn't he? We all tend to cut corners, don't we? We want to cut corners. We want to make the easiest route possible to get to heaven. But there's times when we can't cut corners. There's times when we're supposed to go through some fire to refine us. And that's kind of what this is talking about here. 
Books are important. I've discovered books are very important and they can change your life. A.W. Tozier is one of my authors that I like reading now. He's a lot deeper than my children's Bible story book. But he has this quote. I have it up on the board for you. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you think God is a Santa Claus waiting to give you gifts, that's the way you're going to be. But if you think of Him as an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, you're going to be different. You're going to see things different. You're going to act different. Ten words is God showing us the best possible way to live. That's why... That's why when you start the list of reading of the Ten Words, those Ten Commandments, God's dealing with how we worship Him more than anything. You shall have no other gods before Me. Don't worship anybody else, He says. Don't worship your favorite football team. You know, I, I overheard people talking after the game was canceled Friday night. Well, why aren't they going to play? What's wrong with Owasso? They don't want to play us. They didn't know the rest of the story. They didn't know about this young man that had passed away and the whole football team was tied up with his funeral on Saturday. To be honest with you, I was so grateful that I had coaches that felt, you know, we don't need to play this game. Let it go. It's a game. Hallelujah. It's just a game. Everybody wanted to see how Broken Arrow was going to beat Union anyway the next day, in which they didn't. Same old thing. You know what's going to, I don't know why we don't just go ahead and play this game and be done with it. Forget the season, because it's going to be Jinx and Union in the state championship. We all know that. Everybody knows that. God even knows it. <sighs> how did I get off on that? What are we worshiping? God's concerned about what we're worshiping. How much time do you spend in a day, in a week, just worshiping the Lord? Well, I, 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 I come to church, I come to Bible study, I come to... Okay, that's great. But what about your own personal worship? How much of that are you doing? Best time to do it is in the car. Put on a good CD, a good Christian CD, and let her rip, tater chip. ha <laughs> ha. Go to 100.9. Crank it up. Sing the song. I don't know them. Sing them anyway. Just sing different words. It doesn't matter. Let her go. Sing like you're in the shower. Sing like nobody's listening. Amen? Well, they say dance like nobody's watching. Woo! I am. I asked Cindy. I said, okay. Someone get this knee put, put in. I said, I want to dance with you. She said, I'll dance with you. You heard her. Why would I lie to these folks? Are you going to? You heard her. It may be ugly, but we're going to dance. But you see, the more we learn to worship, and the more we worship Him, the more... He inhabits us. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of His people. You see. Now, I don't know about you, I love to listen to these little guys sing up here. 
They don't know all the songs. They don't know all the words. They just, boy, they're, but their whole body's moving. They're just watching. They're just going at it. Sometimes what we think about when we think about God isn't really God. It's a counterfeit God. If you're in fantasy football right now, you're thinking about my lineup. Is my lineup ready? Who's, who's, who's not going to be in there? Who's going to be in there? Who's going to play? Who's not going to play? And soon they've made gambling now out of fantasy football. Oh, they'll even match it up to $200, and just like the casino down the street, if they don't match anything. But all they've done is taken fantasy football, a fun little easy game, fun thing, and turned it into a gambling prospect. Because one guy last year won $2 million, and so now everybody's going to win $2 million. After they spend $9 million, they'll get two. $200 million this weekend will be paid out. Tell me that's not gambling. Sad, isn't it? But what we think about when we think about God, oftentimes is counterfeit. And the counterfeit gods we create can actually keep us from knowing God, from growing in our relationship with God, and from living that fulfilled life that He wants us to have. Today we're going to look at three stories and explore... This one verse in, in Exodus 20 and verse 3, Sam, go back to it. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. So, these three stories reveal how counterfeit gods can appear in our lives and how God is there ready to set us free so that we can be truly free. But let me set up the first story. Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon who has conquered Israel, taken many of them into Babylon, into captivity. One night he has a dream. He has no idea what it means. So he calls his advisors and uh, asks them what the dreams mean. And uh, there's one thing that he won't tell them uh, in the dream. They have to tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and what it means. And if they don't, he's going to kill them. Well, Daniel hears about it and he goes to the king. And we find that in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 35. And as small as it is, I'm going to try to read it, okay? <laughs> you, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in the front of you. And its uh, appearance was awesome. The head of the, uh, the statue was... Uh, made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, and its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet uh, partly of iron and, and partly of clay. Go to the next slide, please. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without uh, hands, and it struck the uh, statue on its feet, and the iron and the clay crushed them. And then the uh, iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed all of the, all the same time and became the chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away to the... Uh, and I can't read them, just, it's too far away from me. So y'all finish reading it, would you? So the first thing I want you to know about counterfeit gods, is that do you worship God or do you worship your identity? 
See, Nebuchadnezzar was more worried about his image than he was about anything of God. How does that fit us today? Well, we're, we're concerned about the prestige we have in our jobs. I mean, we're in a presidential campaign mode. Oh, my gosh. They're all jockeying for position. They all think that they're the cat's meow. You know, somebody had the audacity to insult our president last week at a rally. And now they're up in arms that somebody didn't defend the president. Get over it. <laughs> Jesus said they're going to revile you and call you bad names. So you know what you're supposed to do when they do that, according to the Bible. You're supposed to pucker your lip out and expect everybody to jump up and slap them around and tell them you can't say that. What's wrong with you? No, he just said just endure it. What if they kill you because you're a Christian? What's you going to do about that? Well, I'm going to fight them. But what if you're dead? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. Way down on 56. <laughs> worship, do you worship God or your identity? you realize that you have a unique identity? Each of us? Do this. Hold your thumb up like this. Right in front of you. Come on. Hold it up. Now, turn your hand around like this and look at it. Come on. Okay, now, now that you've seen it, I want you to let your neighbor see it. Now, if you're sitting next to somebody, I want you to put your thumbs next to each other. I want you to look at them. Well, that'd be hard to do. Okay. Look at them. Do they look the same? Nope. Go back to this. This is the only you that there is. This is it. Can you imagine in this room, every one of these that's attached to somebody is different? What? God made each of us individually, and whatever this does, when you push it down on a piece of paper and leaves an imprint, that's you. There ain't nobody else with that but you. You have a unique identity. You are the very image of God. Right here. Well, preacher, my thumb got cut off. Well, you're in trouble then. If you cut your thumb off, I guess he can't find you. So you might as well just go on to hell now, right? No, he can figure it out. I bet he can reattach your thumb. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, you had another one, don't you? Oh, yeah, there's two of them. See, God knew that we were kind of silly and we cut one off. Yeah, we are. You're uniquely you. Some people trade their identities, the identity that God gave them, for such small things like position and power. You know as well as I do that you never retain position and power. I want you to think of the most worthless, cruel, evil dictator that's ever lived. Call his name out. Where are they today? <laughs> Gone! They always go to Hitler. He's a bad boy. I could go to Washington right now today and name you off a bunch of them. 
I don't care what they got after their name, R or D or dummy. They need to have an S party called stupid. That encompasses them all. That'd be a one single party, stupid. It's amazing, isn't it? But people will trade their very soul for this. I had a tough season in my life back in high school. I was a senior. I wanted to play football. I knew I was going to play football. I just had it in my bones to play football because that's the only sport that I ever really loved. It was football. Still do. I think it's a great sport. But when I got ready to graduate, there was one of the players' dads who went to Baylor University. He came and told me, he said, Hey, I've been talking to Baylor about you, and they're going to call you and offer you a scholarship. Well, I immediately thought, Well, glory. Hallelujah. It's about time people notice my physical prowess on the football field. All 210 pounds of me. Five foot eleven. If I stretch myself up tall, I'm ready to go. I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. It got to mid-August, and I had to go either wait, wait, wait some more, or go on to Bible college. The next morning, I got up, packed my car, and off to Bible college I went. Never got the phone call, never got the contact, and I haven't looked back since. 38 years later, I'm still doing what now I understand God called me to do. A preacher told me one time, he said, you know, there's plenty of football players, but there's not very many preachers. Man, he's right. About two years into Bible college, I was so grateful, and it helped my tough moment become... Not so tough, because out of Brenham, Texas, was a young man named Wilson Wheatley, and he was 320 pounds and six foot five, and I was maybe 5'11 and 210 pounds. And Wilson Wheatley would have cleaned my clock, and I would have had to play against a guy like that. Never felt more called to God in my life than at that moment. But what I've discovered in this 38-year journey with the Lord is that I've had to deepen my relationship with Him in order to appreciate Him more. The worship is more about Him than it is about me. Who cares about me? But I care about God. And that's what you need to do. And we all need to do. My identity was not being that football player. It was a child of, of God and being in love with a God that loved me more than anything. Anything else is simply a counterfeit God, an idol that I worship. And I have to be very careful, because football is one of those that can do that for me. I have to be very careful. The fun part is, as I've gotten older, I'll get, I'll get tied into a football game and go to sleep. <laughs> That's the goofiest thing I've ever seen. And then I'll wake up in the middle of it and just yell, touchdown! <laughs> you know, And uh, my kids and my wife, they just say, oh, dad's up again, here we go. But I'm back in the game. It's like I never left the game. Let's go back to our story. Nebuchadnezzar had that dream because the statue represents the kingdoms of earth, that, that he was the head, 
was made of gold, that Medo-Persia was the arms and the chest of silver, Greek empire was bronze, and Rome was the legs of iron. And the point was that he wasn't going to be king forever. The message God was trying to send in that dream was a call to his humility. Be humble. At the last uh, Republican debate, did any of you catch that? They had them go through and give their co- what they thought their code name should be. Donald Trump, did you get his? Yeah, humble. <laughs> yeah. I don't, can he spell that? All right. So he, Nebuchadnezzar being the most powerful king in the world at the time, God wouldn't even understand it's still temporary. Everything's temporary. You are not going to be on top all the time. You are not going to be the best. You are not going to be the fastest. You are not going to be the strongest. You are not going to be the prettiest. You are not going to be the ugliest. If your identity is being a mom or a dad, guess what? Your kids grow up. I know parents that are so tied into their kids, and once their kids go away, they never let them go away. Well, I'm going to move away with them. I'm going to go to college with them. No, you're not. Leave them alone. Let them breathe for a minute. Amen? Hey, when I married Cindy, I I went and asked her dad, I said, can I marry your daughter? He goes, sure, raise them to get rid of them. Sounds good to me. That's it. I thought I was going to get this lecture, Bible verses, all this stuff. He goes, yep, raise them to get rid of them. Take her. Well, I did get the grand prize out of that group, I'm telling you. I sure did. Just come around them for about ten minutes. You'll agree with me. I'm not sure she did on my side, but you know, I did. If your identity is tied up in your stuff, stuff gets stolen. It gets old. It wears out. If your identity is in your career, you you neglect what matters most. Nebuchadnezzar's identity was that he was a king. That's why he dreamed what he did, and it troubled him. He was amazed by Daniel's ability to interpret and believe God for a while, but later went back to his old ways, to his counterfeit God. So guess what Nebuchadnezzar does in chapter 3? Makes a statue of all gold. Why? Because it was his way of saying his kingdom will never die. Saddam Hussein thought his kingdom would never die. He put his statue in the middle of the city, didn't he? And when the American troops came through, Greatest vision of all time was watching them pull that thing down to the ground. See, everybody will fall. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh-huh. Even the Ayatollahs in Iran will bow their knee before Almighty God. Even the teachers in Tennessee who are making their students write, Allah is the only God. And quoting the creeds of the, of the Quran. Yeah, it's awesome. But let's let them bring the Bible in there and parallel that, right? Oh, Lord, no. So look what happens down in uh, Daniel chapter 4. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, the words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven so this was this this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of God and gives them to anyone He wishes. 
Immediately what he had said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people to eat and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. If you have a talent, a position, or power of some sort, it's so easy to allow that you become your God. And how you do that can affect you greatly. Are you going to let God be God or are you going to let you be God? Colossians 3, 2 and 4 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your, is your, uh, your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Nebuchadnezzar was set free when he stopped worshiping his identity and embrace the true and living God. And that's so fundamentally true for all of us. When you start to worship and praise God, amazing things begin to happen. You could testify to that, couldn't you? Those of you that know about tithing, you can testify. It's when you stop giving that you really have the trouble. <laughs> it's when you have the trouble. It takes us to our second point about counterfeit gods. Do you worship God? Or material wealth? Do you worship God or material wealth? Uh, we find out about that in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. You know, I'm not going to read the whole story for you, but you know, you know Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. Had a lot of money. And he had gotten a lot of money from a lot of people. Because that's what IRS people do. They get money out of you that you don't have. That you shouldn't have to give to them. But we do. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to the Lord what's the Lord's. But Zacchaeus had a lot, of, a lot of wealth, and so when Jesus got into his life, you know what happened. He returned. He turned, he turned that money back. He gave back people what he had taken from them, falsely. And you know, you can have all the money you want. You can have all the power you want. But your really true colors show up when you ride a roller coaster. How many of you like roller coasters? Do you like them when they're, I mean, the real high and they go down, they twist and spin and upside down and all that? Well, I've got three pictures I want to show you. It should be on the next slide or so there, Sam. And you have to do a mouse click to, to bring them up, the first, the first picture. One more. Well, where'd it go? Okay, I don't have them to show you. <laughs> I thought I did. But the pictures I was going to show you was of different facial expressions of people when they're on a roller coaster. The one that was really hilarious to me was the last one. And I mean, I've never seen anybody's mouth that wide open. She was like, ah! <laughs> but it was like that big. It looked like it was amazing how big her mouth was open. You ever been by somebody that's just been scared to death and they're just screaming? They scream the whole time. 
my son Corey, we're on the, he's 10, I think, and we're at, at Six Flags, and they're on that one that goes up, and then we go backwards. That's all it does. It just goes up high, stops, and then goes backwards. They release it, and it just falls straight back. That's all it does. He gets to the top and yells, I want off! <laughs> Wrong place to yell then. And then when they turned it loose, his whole world changed <laughs> as he rolled back. Mr. Tough Guy. And you know how people, first thing they do is what? They grab the bar, right? If they're scared, they grab the bar. Like holding on to that bar is going to really help. Have you seen the video of the, of the chubby kid with his mom? And they take off and the kid slides down like he's falling out of the seat. And the straps catch his chin right here and hold him in. That's the funniest thing you could, you could look on YouTube. But I'm telling you, and he's screaming, I'm falling, I'm falling, while he's choking. She's laughing her head off, and the other kid's dying next to her. But that's how it is sometimes. But many of us are like that. We have, a, we have an illusion that we've got control of things. Just like Zacchaeus thought he had control till he met Jesus. We can put up our hands and we can ride roller coasters and we can ride life like we're in control and we can make sure that, that we uh, handle everything the way we want it done instead of letting God do it the way He wants it done. If you ever want to hear God laugh out loud, tell Him your plans. <laughs> you need to realize that you don't have anything under control. God has it all. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him, but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, uh, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them uh, will be like them, and so, will, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord, for He is their help and their shield. So he's talking about false idols. If you're going to trust them, they're going to lead you astray. Zacchaeus loved money. His God was money. And it was so much his God that he sold out his own people to get more of it. <coughs> As I mentioned, tax collectors were hated. But Zacchaeus wasn't just that run-of-the-mill tax collector. He, he knew how to get the money in. He knew how to collect the money. But when he heard Jesus, met Jesus, encountered Jesus... Everything changed. Here's what you got to understand. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such, as, such, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. So if you trust money, and you, and you use that money to be in control, money is and of itself not evil, but money used improperly can be. Money is a neutral object. It's a problem when it becomes an idol. First Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap uh, and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. <coughs> Big time preachers want a lot of money. They got to have a lot of money. If they have a TV ministry, it takes a lot of money to run a TV ministry. 
So much so that you can send your $5, but they need a million people to send those $5. And they get it. But then they're responsible for it. Is it squandered? I don't know. <coughs> Are they using it to help people? I hope so. But according to 1 Timothy 6, wealth isn't a sin. It's over-trusting it that's the sin. Then down in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in competence, excuse me, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I, will, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the eager, earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. A couple of weeks ago I mentioned to you a financial need here at the church. And within two weeks, you took care of that. Isn't that amazing? No response? Wow. That's amazing. Some people said, okay, there's a need. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to help meet that need. And you have. Wow. That's, that's a wow. I'll wait for you to go, wow. Go ahead. I wish you'd have said that earlier and I didn't have to drag it out of you. Takes us to the third point I want to make to you is that do you worship God or do you or your personal preference? <laughs> Jonah chapter four, third story, verses one through six. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. And then he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the, in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and grew it up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. He was happy about that plant. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And on the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed... Uh, Forty more days and Nineveh will be over, overturned. And the Ninevites believed God. They t- declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. And, whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jonah was running from God. How many of you understand that? Jonah was running from God. But he wanted what he wanted. My first car. Remember your first car you bought? <coughs> a 1960 Chevy Impala. That was my first car. Slick. Man, it was slick. $250 I paid for it. That was a lot of money for me. A lot of money. I had to work, save, and got it. Man, I thought I was big time. 
I was driving along one day. You know, I didn't have anybody help me buy it. I just went and got it because it's what I wanted. Right? I was so smart. So I'm driving along one day and the front right tire just falls off the car. I said, hey, that, I don't think that's right. And we got it to a shop and they looked at it and said, well, brother, you only had one lug nut on this thing. I said, what's a lug nut? I said, well, that's what holds the tire on there. I said, well, how do you, where do you get them? He said, well, you're going to have to, have, you're going to get some, but you're going to have to get another one of these. And I said, what's that? He said, well, this whole assembly thing here, it's all crushed from where it fell. I said, well, how much is that? It's going to cost me more than the car. And wouldn't it have been smarter if I had taken somebody with me who knew what lug nuts were? You know, I'm a whopping 16 years old. I got no dad around. Brothers are gone. I just sure wish I would have known what a lug nut was. <laughs> I guess I am a lug nut. But I got it now. Kind of like Jonah. He wanted his way. He wanted to do it God's way. In Jonah chapter 3 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. See, it wasn't the first time, it was the second time. He's hitting him up again. How many times has God knocked on your head? How many times has God spoken to your heart? How many times has God said something to you? He said, well, I never hear from Him. Well, it's because you're not developing an ear to hear from Him. That's why you can't hear from Him. To develop an ear to hear God, you've got to go deep. You've got to go deep, 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 deep. Memorize Scripture. Read Scripture. Pray. Spend time in prayer. Prayer, prayer, and worship and praise, and then you'll begin to hear God. When you develop the ear to hear Him, He can speak to you. He's speaking all the time, but you'll begin to hear Him. But so many don't want to develop that. So many just want to do it their way, like Jonah. God had to send the great fish to get him, right? Matthew chapter 5, I was just fixing to read that. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on evil and good and sends rain on just and the unjust. So when bad things happen, even to us that are Christians, just relax. Just relax. Well, I might lose everything. You're going to lose it anyway. Jonah forgot that when God showed him grace, God was revealing His nature. He showed grace to Nineveh because that's who God is. God showed grace to you and me because that's who God is. Seventeen times in the Old Testament, God challenges the people to walk away from their counterfeit gods and embrace Him. When they did, they received a blessing. When they didn't, they received bondage. Is there a message for, the, for us in that? Oh, there ought to be. Oh, there ought to be. You think your life is rough now. Maybe you need to look at, at, at where you are and where you're standing with Him. Father, I ask you this morning to uh, stir the hearts of the folks here and help them to understand that you love them with an everlasting love. You love them in such a way that you want them all to go to heaven to spend forever with you. God, it's an amazing thing that you want us to be with you forever. 
And so, God, if there's somebody here today that's not ready for that, would you give them the courage to respond to that? Maybe there's somebody here that just needs to uh, come forward for healing. Uh, we're ready to pray and anoint them with oil, whatever it is that they need. God, maybe somebody's here wants to make this church their church home. Uh, hallelujah. Would they just come and let that be known? God, there may be others who just need to come and bow before your throne and uh, just spend some time in prayer with you. Whatever need there is, God, would you move in their heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Trust and obey.